Welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. My name is Michael Telercio. I'm the pastoral intern of Forest Hill Presbyterian Church, and you're joining us for day 423 of our look at Scripture. And in today's text, we've come to Mark 15, the most important chapter in the book, perhaps, though not really, because all of it is important, especially the next chapter. So it's hard to pick a chapter that's most important, but we we can say that all of the book has been leading up to this and the next chapter. And in particular, Jesus has been teaching his disciples since chapter 8, especially and in a focused way, that what happens to him in today's passage and in next time's chapter, chapter 16, are the pinnacle of not only this book, but really of his earthly ministry. All that he came to do led and leads up to this moment, to these two chapters. It's important for us to keep that in mind because what Jesus had been doing throughout the book wasn't enough. What he does in this chapter and in the next are. So let's ask for the Lord's help to see how that's so and to see how it can change us, how it should change us as a result. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us this chance to look at Mark chapter 15 together how we need it, how we need not only the passage, but the person about which the passage speaks. We need your son. We need him to be our savior. We thank you that for all of those who are in him, he is our savior. We pray we would take refuge under his wings as we see his arms uplifted in today's text. May we see our salvation in the man who died on the cross for us. And may we rejoice that he did what we needed him to for us. We pray this for his glory, that we would be changed by this passage as a result of what he's done for his glory, for our good. In his name, amen. All right, we're looking at Mark chapter 15. And as soon as it was morning, he held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. And Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison, who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. 
and the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed them in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the, in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Younger and of Joses and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that, she, that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. 
What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? That was how Mark opened his gospel account in chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, we're seeing it. We're seeing what it means for Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God. We're seeing that it means that Jesus does what no other human being could do. He bears the Father's wrath on behalf of his people. He is the kind of king that would suffer and die a horrendous death, the worst part of which is not the physical pain, but the spiritual torment of being separated from his father. That's the kind of Christ that Jesus is. And it's for a particular reason that he is suffering this way. It's to save God's people from the thing that they need to be saved from. Their sin. Now we've seen throughout Mark's gospel, even back in chapter 2, the difference between Jesus simply treating people's physical ailments and healing them of sickness and disease and restoring their ability to walk or to see or to hear. We've seen the difference throughout Mark's gospel account between that and the reason that Jesus has come. Chapter 1, he said, he has come to preach. He has come to die a death that he started speaking of in chapters 8 and 9 and 10. He's come to die and on the third day rise. That's principally why Jesus has come. The preaching is about the purpose that he's come for. It's about the the salvation that he offers. Jesus doesn't come principally to save people from physical problems. And isn't it so striking that in today's passage, we see the people rejecting Jesus at the moment that he is most clearly displaying the reason that he has come. Recall back to chapter 11, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. How did the people regard him then? Well, verse 9 of chapter 11 says, They were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! They're thrilled with Jesus! Back in chapter 11. Now in chapter 15, what are they shouting? Crucify him! Friends, is Jesus a disappointment to you? He will be, if you don't understand the reason why he really came. He came to die to pay for sin. That's why we see in today's passage that when he dies, verse 38, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It's because the thing that separated God's people from God, sin, was being done away with. It was being cast as far as the east is, from the West, from God's people. As Pastor Jason pointed out in yesterday's sermon from Psalm 103, verse 12, the sin that separated God's people from God, Jesus dealt with on the cross. If we don't see that, we would quick, more quickly say crucify him in regards to Jesus than to worship him. If we think Jesus came for any other reason, 
any other reason whatsoever, we will reject him in the same way that the people here rejected him. One week earlier, they were praising him. One week later, they're crucifying him. This passage is a startling warning for us that we are no different than the crowd unless we understand that the reason that Jesus came is to save people from sin, to deal with God's anger at us for our sin on our behalf, for the ways that we've offended God, for the ways that we've written God out of our lives, or even just ignored Him and raised up our own desires and our own preferences and our own agendas for our lives up above His. We've put them in place of what God has said in His Word. If we don't understand that, if we think that Jesus is a good teacher who has come to heal people and has come to lead us in the way everlasting, but we don't understand that we are an offense to God apart from him. We will as quickly go from worshiping Jesus on one day to crucifying him seven days later. We shouldn't expect anything less. And this is also a call for the church to recognize that the world will not accept the true Jesus for who he is. They would rather have Barabbas. That, that's what we find in the passage. They would rather have the insurrectionist released from prison than the true savior of man's souls. Don't be surprised if the world welcomes you as a Christian for a while until they find out what you believe. You know, I don't think that there have been many Christians killed over the years because of what they do. I think most Often, Christians are killed because of what they believe, despite what they do. Just like Jesus. We, it happens to us because it happened to him. What did Jesus do? He healed people over and over again. And if you remember, even some of his healings, they were preceded by him f almost frustrated to the point where he was sighing aloud because of the unbelief of the people. He was still healing people. He was still enabling them to hear and casting out demons. He was reasoning with the. He was still kindly healing people. His actions were gracious through and through. He never did a single thing to harm anybody. And yet he was killed because when it came down to it, he what he was killed for was what he said, what, what he believed, what, what he claimed to be true. He wasn't killed for what he did. He was killed for who he was and what he believed and what he said. And that's the case for Christians. If you're being persecuted because of something that you have done, or you're being marginalized, church, not, not necessarily individual Christians, but us as a church, as a whole, the church, if we're being persecuted or, or our faith is being attacked, it's our faith that's being attacked. Because the world hates what we believe about Jesus. The world hates what Mark chapter 15 says, that Jesus came to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me when he died on the cross? To take on the the forsakenness that you and I deserve and of which we are forgiven if we come to him in repentance and faith. Remember, Jesus said that the very first thing that he preached in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
repent and believe in the gospel. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. Let's believe it with the Lord's help. Let's go to him and ask for his help to believe this gospel, that this is our king, this is the son of God on display for us in Mark 15, and we'll see the fulfillment of his earthly work in next time's look at Mark 16. Let's go to him in anticipation. In Jesus' name we come to you, O Father, knowing that you are the one who sent this king, this son of yours to us. We are so thankful that you have taught us not only what Jesus has come to do, but you have revealed it plainly to us why he has come to do it. Thank you, Lord, for this clarity that Jesus has given us throughout the Gospel of Mark. The curtain has been torn in two. Sin which separated us from you, has been dealt with. It has been, your wrath has been propitiated because of Jesus' finished work on behalf of all of those who trust in you. So we come to you now, O God, asking that we would be those, we would be such as trust in you for the salvation you've given us through Jesus. May we not be caught up in the worldly ways of looking to insurrectionists for salvation. people who promise so much and deliver nothing. May we look to Jesus. May we, because we look to him, joyfully anticipate the restoration of all things as we anticipate the passage in Mark 16 about his resurrection. Give us wisdom as we get ready to see that passage as the final passage in Mark's gospel. We pray that we would be living in light of this reality today, that Jesus is the Lord who has dealt with the sins of his people in full on the cross. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, that's been our look at Mark 15, and I'm glad you were with us for it today, but I hope you'll return when we look at Mark 16 in just three days, and I hope before then you'll be back with us for 2 Samuel again tomorrow. May God bless you, brothers and sisters, as you look forward to the return of Jesus, even as we together look forward to reading about his resurrection soon. Thank you.